not here out of obligation or tradition or fear or guilt. We are not here just to sing, preach, and be entertained. We are not here to alter what he has spoken or to shout over what he whispers. We are here because the gospel, the good news, has changed us forever. We are here because God loved us first. We are here because we have received his grace and his mercy, and so we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, and we surrender ourselves to his will. We are here because he's called us to community. We are here to magnify his name so that others might come to call upon the only name that saves. We are here to echo his glory, not trumpet ours. We are here to celebrate the love that was proved on the cross. We are here to echo him with our lives, with our passions, and with all that we have. We are here to worship our creator, our father, our redeemer, our savior. That's why we sing. That's why we celebrate. That's why we are here. Good morning, church. Come on, let's stand. We're going to worship our king this morning, so let's put our hands together. Come on. Everybody now. Praise in the valley, praise on the mountain. I praise when I'm shown, praise when I'm doubting. I praise when I'm numbered, praise when surrounded. Cause praise is the water, my enemies drowning. As long as I'm breathing, I've got a reason to praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I praise when I feel it, and I praise when I don't. I praise because I know. You're still in control. My praise is a weapon. It's more than a sound. Oh, my praise is a shout that brings Jericho down. As long as I'm breathing, I've got a reason to praise the Lord. Oh, my soul.
morning um, about casting our anxieties on the Lord. And I'd written a little note in my Bible that referenced me back to Luke. And it was a story about Jesus visiting the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And we know a lot about Mary and Martha. And we know that one was busy and one was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I really like saw myself in Martha of her just being busy. It said that she was distracted with much serving. 
and she was missing the Savior of the world who was in her house. And I don't want us to do that here this morning. I don't want us to miss the Savior that we're here to serve because some of us are distracted with serving, literally. We're distracted with that. Some of us are distracted with the songs and the listening and we're, we're missing the one that it's about. And so, like, as we give this morning, whether it's online or by mailing in a check or by dropping it off at the back as you leave, and as we're worshiping and as we're listening to the sermon and hearing the word of the Lord, like, let's not miss it. Let's not miss why we're here. Let's go ahead and pray. So in the midst of our anxieties and our troubles and our just busyness, God, of our lives that we um, are so caught up in, God, we are a very distracted people. We ask that you would settle our hearts and our minds now to hear your word, God. I pray that you would work and that we would choose the more important thing, which is you right now. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here this morning. Today, we are going to be wrapping up the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah has been, hopefully, a fruitful journey for you. I know it's been for me because it's reminded me that I'm a lot like Jonah. How about you? Right? We all run from God, haven't we? Now, I'm not talking about they're kind of running like, hey, God's called me to another country to share the gospel and to live there. I mean, he may be calling you that. I'm talking about the kind of running where God nudges us to go to our neighbor and share our faith, and we've not done that. Or God's like, hey, you've got a coworker. You sit beside every day at the cubicle next to you, and I want you to share your faith, and we've not done that. Or, or maybe there's something going on in our lives that God is challenging us to take a step of faith in an area, and we just aren't doing it. Well, we all run. And hopefully what we've learned over the course of the last four or five weeks is that we learned from chapter one is that when we run, we never run to the good places. We always run to dangerous places. Or if you're on the brink of around you, you think it's all about you. You think you're not going to impact anybody else. But I'm just telling you that when you run, other people around you are impacted by that. And as we've gone through the journey, we've seen that we've also seen an amazing attitude that God has toward runners. I mean, if it, you and I were God and people ran away from our calling on their life, we would discard them, dismiss them, and we would move on, right? But that's not how God functions. God heard Jonah's prayer. God answered Jonah's prayer. And God wasn't done with Jonah. And so the great thing about God is that his attitude toward you and I when we run is he doesn't dismiss us, he doesn't discard us, he still has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And in the middle of that, God will intervene, God will discipline, but remember this, we learned this in chapter 2, maybe the most important thing I said the entire series, it was this, God disciplines us not to pay us back, but to what? Bring us back. And you need to know that this morning. And then last week, we saw an incredible truth about who God is. We saw that God is uh, in control, that he's on his throne, but we saw that God's timing was perfect. There is no way in the world Jonah, by himself, could have known how God had orchestrated a solar eclipse, how God could have orchestrated a plague, and how God could orchestrate all that he had done so at the right moment, at the right time, at just the right time point in history that he would preach a message, a one-sentence message, mind you, and all of Nineveh comes to faith. All of Nineveh turns back to God. I want to be honest. I would love to preach that kind of message. 
one sentence and everybody goes, yeah, we repent. Here we go. I mean, wouldn't that, I mean, that was what happened in Nineveh. And so we saw Jonah get to experience one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament. 120,000 people in Nineveh turned from their pagan ways and they turned to God. Now, would that excite you if you were to go into your subdivisions and your neighborhoods and your workplace and you were to stand up and proclaim the name of Jesus and everybody that could hear your voice, they all turned away from their sin and they turned to Christ? Would that excite you? That was not very exciting. Would that excite you? Yes. But Jonah's story doesn't go that way, does it? Jonah's story, after this great miracle of salvation, Jonah's story takes a twist and a turn for the worse. And what I want to do, and I'm going to make some thoughts, I'm going to share some things with you as we go, but here's what I want you to know. Jonah, when he gets to this point, all these people are saved. Jonah is distressed. Jonah is bothered by what God has done. And what I want us to see this morning is this, and something that we need to see in our lives. Why in the world was Jonah so angry with God? Why in the world did Jonah run from God in the beginning? And we're going to find the answer to that. Here's why that's important for us. Because all of us need to know, why do we run? What is it that's in us that leads us down a path of running? What is it in us that leads us down a path of being so angry with God? And I'm not so naive this morning not to realize that some of you here this morning, you are angry with God. Something's happened in your life or something hasn't happened in your life, and you're flat out angry. Why are you angry? I bet it's because of the same reason Jonah was angry. The same reason Jonah ran from God. So if you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Jonah chapter 4, and we are just going to methodically walk through this. If you've got your Bible, say, I got it. Here we go. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. It says this. So after all this salvation happens, here it is. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. This great miracle that had happened, this great movement of God that had taken place, this great moment in history where God had been preparing for at least five years, we know, all the way to the moment when Jonah and 760 BC preaches a one-sentence message and everybody gets saved, a great, fantastic moment. And the Bible says, but Jonah was displeased and exceedingly. In other words, he was really upset. He wasn't just upset. He was upset, upset. I mean, he was so bothered, and he was what? Angry. Hot. So angry you were hot, not physically, but emotionally. That's Jonah. Now, let's just think about it for a moment. Does this bother you that Jonah, who rebelled against God, who God showed grace and mercy to, then, then all of a sudden embraces this calling and goes and does what God calls, and God shows up in a powerful way, and Jonah's still upset about it. Does that bother you that, that, God, that Jonah has operated this way? It should. But I would contend that many of us may be the same way. Many of us have seen God do it, operate in certain ways, and when the, it's all said and done, we're still Debbie Downers, Downers. We're still upset. And it says he was displeased. Now, why was Jonah so mad at God? Well, think about this for a moment. Remember the Ninevites, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And I said at week one that Assyria was the arch enemy of Israel. I mean, they would be the ones actually in 722 BC, like 38 years later, they're going to be the nation that comes in and destroys the northern kingdom of Israel. They're going to do it. God's disciplined Israel. But this is the arch enemy. And remember, Jonah is a prophet to the nation of Israel. Now, the nation itself, if you remember, is prospering financially, but spiritually they are moving down a path of bankruptcy. And God calls Jonah, don't go to your people. I want you to go to the pagan people and preach the message. And Jonah ran from that. Jonah was angry. And then when God shows up in a powerful way, Jonah is still angry. There's sometimes I wonder if we could, if we could sit alone with God and hear his audible voice, is it possible that sometimes he would say this to us, nothing ever seems to make you happy. You think we might hear that? I think we would. And Jonah 
was a, I think Jonah was probably in the grandstands ready to eat, choose, eat some popcorn and drink his soda and couldn't wait to see how God was going to bring his wrath from heaven down on Nineveh, much like he knew that God had brought his wrath down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you think Jonah was excited about it? Yeah. And when God relented, Jonah is upset. He's upset because God didn't function the way he thought God should have functioned. God didn't respond the way that Jonah thought God should have responded. Can you relate to that? Then look what happens in verse 2. I love this. Verse 2 says this. And he prayed. I love this. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said would happen when I was yet in my country? Now, is this a prayer of surrender right now? This is not that, right? This is the prayer where you pray saying, God, I've already got a plan and you kind of need to stick to it, right? And he says this, he says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, it's not this what I said when I was yet in my country. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew that you are gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in love. And relenting from disaster. Now, here's what Jonah said. God, this is why I ran from the beginning. I know who you are. I know that you're a God that is gracious. I know that you're a God that is steadfast love. I know that you listen to all the things he lists here. I know that you're slow to anger. I know that you're relenting and bringing disaster. I know that's who you are. And God, I want that for me, but I don't want that for Nineveh. Right? I want that for me. And I'm so happy you're a gracious God. I'm so happy you're a God that is abounding in love. I'm so happy that you're a God that is slow to anger. I'm so happy that this is who you are. But listen, I want that for me. They don't deserve it, God. You messed up. Now, have you ever felt that way about people? I don't know about you, but I wreck too often times, I'm really quick to point the finger about how God should bring judgment and wrath on somebody else's life. And it's interesting that Jonah's like, listen, I recognize who you are. I see that you're this gracious, merciful, slow to anger God. And I want it for me, but not for Nineveh. And then look what he says in verse 3. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life for me. For it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, do you think Jonah's a little bit dramatic at this point? I mean, I remember when my boys were little, I won't single any of them out, but I remember when my boys were little, it was probably one of the older two, and I remember I would ask them on occasion, wasn't David, but it was probably Daniel and James. So anyway, um, so I did call them out. Anyway, so I remember when they were little and I'd go outside and do yard work. And my dad, when he would go out and do yard work when I was younger, we'd get so mad that we would never come out and offer to help him. And so when I thought I had kids, I'm like, well, surely they'll figure it out and they didn't. And so anyway, I remember one day we were out. This happened many times, but I would say, hey, guys, you want to come out and help me? And then like I said, like 15 minutes. I mean, like 15 minutes at best. I mean, like picking up limbs so I can mow the yard. And I remember they would always say this to me. Oh, I'm just going to die. It's so hot out here. I mean, my world's coming. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you've got kids, you know what I'm talking about. That's Jonah, isn't it? Dramatic Jonah. One who's rebelled, one who's seen one of the greatest revivals, I'll say of the day of Pentecost, that the Bible ever records, and he's ticked off at God. Because God didn't operate the way he thought he should operate, and he's upset with God. God, I want your grace, I want your mercy, but not for Nineveh. And so God, if you're going to show them grace, just take my life. Just take my life. And then God speaks, verse 4. I said, I love it, you what? Doug, paraphrase it. Really? Really? Are you, are, you, are you really throwing a temper tantrum, Jonah? Are you really okay with being as angry at me as you are? Jonah, I just brought salvation to 120,000 people, and you only spoke one sentence, Jonah. Look what I've done, and you're upset at me. You want my grace, and you want my love, and you want my affection, but you don't want it for anybody else, Jonah? Really? Now, at that point, if you're Jonah, do you think you might have go, okay, you're right. I'm a moron. Sure, you're right. 
I didn't see it that way, God. I'm sorry. Would you think there might have been a moment of repentance in Jonah? You would hope. But is that what happened here? No. God spoke to him and reminds him, you've received this stuff, but you want me to spare them toward other people. In other words, you want me to show you mercy, but not them. And then here's what he says, Jonah, in chapter 5. On verse 5, it says, then Jonah went out. He did not repent. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till this, I'm sorry, till he should see what would become of the city. So here's Jonah whining and complaining. God speaks to him going, really? Are you really really upset that I've shown you this grace, but you don't want them to experience it too? And we would expect and hope that Jonah might have repented there, but he doesn't. What does he do? He goes and pops up a tent over there on the sidelines. And he sits down. He's probably eating his own popcorn going, okay, maybe God will change his mind. Maybe he'll relent and maybe he'll bring judgment. I'm just going to wait and see what God does. Because I know how God should operate, right? I know the way that God should perform here. And so I'm going to sit on the sidelines and I'm going to anticipate because at some point God's going to get a clue and God's going to function the way I think God should function. So I'm going to sit right over here and just enjoy Do you see how the slippery slope of Jonah has gone down? And I want you to hear me on this, church. I know it's kind of funny, but here's the thing. Some of us are just like Jonah. God has done some incredible things in our lives. And we're so wrapped up in what he's not done and how he's, you know, some of us, it's all about justice. We want want justice. Listen, we want, no, we say it this way. We want what's fair. You don't want fair. Because fair condemns us all to hell justice is what Jesus has done for us. We're like, look at Jonah, and we're just like him. Just like him. We see God do incredible things, and we get upset because, God, you're showing them favor. You're showing them mercy. God, that's all for me. That's all for us believers. That's all for cross off each people. Don't show it to anybody else. And I think God from heaven would say this to us today in a deep, haunting voice. Really? You really think that? And some of us are just sitting on the sidelines like Jonah, waiting for God to strike his, bring his wrath down and to strike someone, to smite them, right? We're just waiting for that to happen. And then God does something only God does. He gives Jonah an object lesson. Look at me in verse 6 and 7 and 8. It says this in verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed, that's an important word, we'll come back to it. He appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So God, what did God do for Jonah? He provided for him. God created a plant that covered Jonah's head. And the word here appointed is the same word used in chapter 1 which says, and God appointed a great fish. Do you remember that in chapter 1? Here God has appointed a plant to rise up from the ground and to cover Jonah to bring him shade. So for the first time, Jonah feels the comfort of God. But then verse 7 and 8 happen. Look what happens in verse 7. Same word again. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed, same word, a worm that attached, attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. So here's Jonah eating his popcorn, waiting for God. He's probably going, yes, God, you're providing for me. This is what I... He appoints a worm to attack the plant, to wither it. And then he appoints an east wind to come. And so the heat that Jonah felt in his emotions earlier, now he's feeling physically in his life. Now, why in the world would God bring an object lesson to Jonah's life? Why did God use his object lesson? I've provided a plant. The Lord gives a plant. The Lord provides, and the Lord does what? Takes away. Why would he do this with Jonah? Look at verse 9. Here it is. Here's why the object lesson happened. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Why did God give Jonah's object lesson? It was this reason, and you might want to write this down. It was to expose the wickedness of his heart. Because what was Jonah concerned with? The plant. God, all I care about is your provision for my life. It's all I care about. All I care about, listen church, all I care about is that I 
am taken care of. It's all that matters to me. These people, these Ninevites that you called me to minister to, I don't care about them. All I care about, God, is my provision from you. And the reason that God gave Jonah this object lesson, provided a plant and then had a worm take it away and a breeze come in that would be scorching over Jonah's head. The reason he did it was to remind him, here's what your heart looks like, Jonah. Your heart, listen, your heart is selfish. All you care about, Jonah, is you. Can anybody say amen to that one? How about you? I can be a pretty selfish person, especially when it comes to the Lord. And he's like, Jonah, you don't even care about the Ninevites. All you care about, Jonah, is yourself. And then God says something profound in verse 10. In verse 10, he says this, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow about something that's out of your control. Jonah, you've forgotten something that you should have learned way back before you jumped in or were thrown into the ocean and caught by this great fish. You forgot that I'm the one that's in control, Jonah. It's me. I provided the great fish. I appointed the great fish to vomit you out. I provided the plant. I provided the worm to make it wither. I provided the scorching wind. Jonah, what is the key word in all that I've said? I. I'm in control, Jonah. Not you. Now, why is this important? Because God is rebuking Jonah, letting him know, I will demonstrate my grace and I will demonstrate my mercy where I want to. And you better get over it, buddy. Because I'm the one in control, not you. And I think it's this notion of, Jonah, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you want all that I offer, but you don't want anybody else to receive it? Jonah, get a clue. And God rebukes him. And then in verse 11, we have this climactic moment. And in this moment, listen, in this moment of chapter, in chapter 4, verse 11, the last verse in the, in the boy flat. We finally learn what made him so angry with God. And it's the same thing for us. Look at me in verse 11. He says this. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from the left hand and also much cattle? In other words, listen, Jonah. Should I not care about people who are lost and they're going to die without knowing me. They don't know which side's up and which side's down. They need me just like you needed me, Jonah. And here's what we learned. Why did Jonah flee? Why did Jonah get so angry? It's found in verse 11. Here's why. Because he says, Jonah, he's telling Jonah, your concerns are not my concerns. What breaks your heart is not what breaks my heart. What occupies your priority in life is not my priority. What was Jonah's priority? God's provision for him. What was God's greatest concern? 120,000 lost people in Nineveh. That was God's concern, right? That's what God was concerned with. It wasn't this one little prophet throwing a temper tantrum. That wasn't God's concern. God's concern that there were people lost and dying and going to split hell wide open. And God was concerned with those people. That's what God was concerned with. It's like he's telling Jonah, he's like, listen, Jonah, here's what you need to know. That what I'm concerned about is people, Jonah. Can I tell you the greatest concern our Heavenly Father has today? Listen to this. Here's our, his greatest concern. As that every human being doesn't get what we deserve. That's what God's concerned with. Now, we have a word for that in the Bible. It's called mercy. See, grace is receiving what I don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what I do deserve. God's greatest concern for humanity is that we would not receive the very thing we deserve. You know what we all deserve? Death, hell, and separation. But through faith in Christ, by putting our faith in him, we receive the mercy of God where he takes us. Instead of sending us to hell, he allows us into his glorious heaven. Listen, church, that's what God is concerned with. And it's like he's telling Jonah this because like, Jonah, we should have been on the same page here, bro. You could have partnered with me and been excited for this. But listen, Jonah missed it. Why did he miss it? Because Jonah's concerns were not God's concerns. 
And so I would say this to us this morning. I see a lot of me in this. And maybe you do too. Jonah ends with Jonah disheartened. One of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament. And Jonah's time of us miss it. Like, let's be honest. I mean, a lot of us in the room, we like things done the way we like them done. We like things to be right according to, to us. And how many times in the quest for that do our concerns overshadow God's concerns? You know, we talk about this often, but let's just be honest because some of you, your stomachs are beginning to ground. You're thinking about lunch and where we're going to go. Who can we beat there? How fast can this preacher be done so I can get there? I mean, I know all those things are coming to your mind, but here's the thing about it is, are you going to be more concerned if the food order you give is exactly right? Are you going to be concerned about the soul of the person who probably screwed it up and maybe they're going to go to hell too and they need to hear and see the love of Christ in their life? What are you concerned with? What is the thing that's burning in your heart. See, the reality is this, is that we all have a little bit of Jonah in us all. And I'm just telling you for Doug, I know that sometimes God's concerns gets overshadowed by my concerns. And can I tell you something about our concerns? They're all temporary, aren't they? But God's concerns are eternal. They're about people who are lost and need him. Here's one more thing I want you to write down as we close. The measure of spiritual maturity. If you want to say, Doug, I want to know when I become spiritual mature, I'm going to tell you. You ready? The measure of true spiritual maturity is when your concerns are his concerns. When what breaks the heart of God breaks our heart. When what motivates God motivates us. Well, Doug, what is it? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Jesus said it best. It's one of those verses that keeps me up all the time as I think about it. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. There are people dying. Neighbors dying. People aren't going to take another breath at the end of this day. People who are not going to see tomorrow. People who aren't going to see next week. And is it the body of Christ that is concerned? Because God's concerned. Because God doesn't, he says, my will that no man would perish. My concerns, I don't want people to die and to reject me and to spend eternity in hell. I want people to know me, but here's what I see. The harvest is white. People are ready. I just got to have people go tell them. Who does that fall on? Us. Us. So I want to ask you a simple question this morning. Are you broken and bothered by the lost people that live right across the street from you, that work right down the hall from you, maybe that occupy your very house? If so, and that's your concern, my prayer is that all of us would make a single magnificent commitment this morning. And that commitment is that Christ would be honored and be magnified by how I live my life for him. What Drew talked about three weeks ago. That I might live my life in such a way that I can draw people to him. And so would you make that commitment this morning? That, hey, Lord, I want my life to glorify you. Now, for some of you here today, maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. The only way your life is going to glorify him is if you surrender your life and invite him in as the boss and master of your life. If you say simply, I know that I'm a sinner, I believe Jesus died on the cross, and I invite him in to be the boss and master, that's the only way you're going to glorify God today. But if you know Christ as your Savior... Can we leave here this morning saying, I want to live in such a way that when people see me, they're drawn to him. Hey, let's not be a Jonah. Let's be bothered. Let's be broken. Let's be wrecked by what wrecks our Heavenly Father. Let's all stand together. Everybody stand with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. God, I love you. And I thank you for today. And I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. And God, I just pray for all of us in the room. If they're like Doug, we can sure talk a good game. But God, I pray you would break us, starting with this guy on the stage. That you would wreck us, starting with this guy on the stage. That when we go into the grocery store, we go where we're at, Lord, that what we would see is people the way that Jesus of him are those who don't know him. God, I pray for some people today.
that we would make this commitment, that we would be so wrecked by the words of Jesus himself, that there's a harvest that is right, it is ready, but the labors are few, that we might stand in the gap and say, God, I'm in. I don't have the words. I'm not eloquent. I definitely don't know all the answers. But if you'll guide my mouth and you'll give me the words in my heart, I'm in. God, I pray that our chief goal and our chief desire this morning is that when we leave in a few moments, that we would pray, Christ, be magnified in me. God, may you be glorified in my life and how I live and how I speak and how I act. God, may we make that commitment today. And then, God, I pray for that person who doesn't know you. The only way that you can be glorified in their life is they just surrender today. If they would just simply say, today, I trust you, Jesus. God, would you move? May we leave here today resolved not to be a child like Jonah, but to be resolved and passionate about being your vessel used by you in a lost and a broken world. We need you, Lord. Which is your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now this morning, if you want to come pray, this altar is open. If you want to come and you want to make that commitment, say, man, I, I'm going to be in. I'm bothered by people that I know that don't know Christ. I don't have the right words. I don't have the answers. But God, if you will guard and guide my mouth and you will give me the words in my heart, I'll do it. It may not come out clean, but your Holy Spirit can make it sound perfect. I'll do it. Maybe you need to make that commitment today. This altar is open. If you need prayer, Pat and Willie over there and, and Jason and Kelly over there. And if you need to talk to someone, I'm right here. I would love to talk to you. But can we leave here today unified that we want Christ to be honored, glorified, and magnified in our lives? So when people see Nevin, when people see Corey, when people see Tony, when people see Jim, they're seeing Jesus. That's the greatest compliment anybody could ever give you. So if you need to make that commitment today, may we respond as the Lord's leading us. Be magnified in me. Sing, oh.
This is a great declaration to sing this morning, church, that we will not bow to any other idol. We will worship the Lord. I won't bow to idols. I stand strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I rejoice because you're there too. I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just the doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory, with all the angels and the saints, my heart will still be singing. My heart will be. morning, God, that we can come here together and that we can lift up your name, Lord. I pray that we wouldn't run, Lord. We see how it worked with Jonah that it not only hurt him, but it hurt the people around him, God. That we could just be obedient to walk where you tell us to go, God. I thank you that you allow us what a privilege it is to come and just shout your praises, God. May that be our heart, not just on a Sunday morning, but like Doug said, throughout the week, through the people that we see and meet, that our sole purpose will be your sole purpose and your focus, Lord, that they would be aligned just to bring others to know you more, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If it's been good to be here this morning, say amen. amen. Have a seat just for a moment. want to highlight a few things in life and ministry of our church. And there's a lot of things. We got the blue handout sheet. There's a lot of things on there. Please take a moment to read those things and, and pay careful attention. But really, one thing that's really important for us at East Campus is that we challenge people to take the next step. Whatever, wherever you find yourself, just take the next step. If you're brand new here, we would encourage you to take the next step of sticking around for six weeks. We believe if you stick around for six weeks, you're going to find out who we are, what we're about, and how this is some of the most loving people you've ever been around, and you're never going to leave us. And so stick, find a place to serve somewhere. Like yesterday, we served our Bithlow community, giving out pack, backpacks for Bithlow. We had what, over 20, 25 volunteers show up to serve, and did an incredible job. We are a church who loves loves to serve our community. And so maybe that's a step that you need to take. But whatever it is, take the next step. Today, we have a young man who's going to take a next step. A step where he's professed Christ as his Savior, and we're going to follow and see him follow and that, that confession of faith through believer's baptism. And I say that because of this. Maybe there's somebody in the room today, and you know Christ is your Savior, but you've never followed in believer's baptism. You never said, I want the world to know that I trust Christ. You can do it today. Well, Doug, I don't have any clothes we got to figure it out. If you need to make that decision, let's be obedient today. So right now, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to have you stand right now. Everybody stand with me if you would just for a moment. But I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. And when I ask you to do a favor, this means you're going to do a favor for me, right? This young man is an incredible young man. So please, unless it's just urgent, don't skirt by and leave. Hang out in the lobby. Stack a few chairs if you want to in about five minutes. We're going to slide aside. Hang out in the lobby where there's AC, and we'll pull you all at the last minute. But I want this young man to feel the love of his church going, they know that I love and I'm following Jesus, and they have celebrated with me. So please, don't exit too soon today. And this will be a moment that you're going to want to celebrate with this young man. All right? Let's pray together. God, we love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Even the stories that don't end happily ever after. We learn a lot, Lord. 
And so, God, I pray the things and the lessons and, the, and the, the principles you've taught us through Jonah would be applied to our lives. But, God, I thank you for today that we have a young man who's going to let the world know that he belongs to Jesus and that he's going to live his life for him. So, God, may we celebrate that as a church. May this be a common place for the church. May, we, may this never get old for us to see people come to the baptismal waters. So, God, today is a day of celebration. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you do for us. And it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Ties in just a moment.